Welcome back to the Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James, and today, day seven of our 31 Days of Horror Classics, we're going to be covering the film Eyes Without a Face from 1960. Well, hello there, listener, and welcome back to the Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James, and Eyes Without a Face from 1960. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, best film I've watched so far. Now, it might be because it was made in the 60s and the rest were like in the 20s and the 40s, so I'm looking at better technology, better, you know, sound design, all this kind of stuff that makes a film better, especially after watching all these old films. Not that they're bad, but just with the increased technologies available to them, I think it made for a better film. But I'm going to go ahead and put it out there that this, out of all the films I've watched, is the best one so far. Now, this is a French-Italian film, and... I don't. The only reason I know that is because they say hui a lot. So there's a whole lot of hui in the film. Also, I looked it up and it said it was a French-Italian film. But that being said, holy shit, do the French know how to make an awesome horror movie. I had so much great horror joy watching this film. It is great from the very beginning, opening scene all the way to the very end. I mean, there is just no wasted space in this film. Everything from the dialogue to the the story, how everything was written, you know, the camera use, the characters, everything was just so meticulously put together like a puzzle to create this beautiful piece of art cinema. I've read in some reviews, some people said it was poetic in the way that it was put together, and I would say very much so down to the, you know, there's kind of this melodramatic acting with some of the female characters. I'm going to say that's just because of the time, but even our main, like, spooky character, which is the daughter in this film, who is the eyes without a face. I don't know if I remember what her name is, but just a good example is like the way she walks it's so ghostly and angelic and it's because you know she's extremely thin she's wearing this like rubber mask thing because of her face which is what we'll get into later but if you pay attention how she walks for one she never blinks now you know she might blink once in the film or something but i'm gonna say when i when i actually started to notice it very early on in the film and paid attention to it i never saw her blink so awesome you know directing uh, the, to, to make her character not blink it makes her seem that much more surreal when she walks her arms are always down by her side and back now I know that doesn't sound like much but what it does is it gives her the illusion of almost floating through air as she walks like a specter like a ghost and I just thought that was so fucking cool I mean what a great film and just a heads up, guys, I know I'm a day behind, which, you know, sometimes I got to double up on these because I'm super busy. As a matter of fact, I'm recording this with a blanket over my head at, at, at work. No, not at work. Can't say that. I'm not at work, but I'm somewhere not at home with a blanket over my head recording this. So audio is going to be a little different, but this film, holy shit. Anyway, you know what they say. The show, the show must go that's right. And the show will go to on bad audio or not. So without further ado, Eyes Without a Face, 1960. Let's get into it. Okay, so there's no way I'm going to be able to cover all the things in this film. I took a couple of notes as I watched it, but there was just so much. Like I said, there's just no wasted space in this movie. Every little scene, everything that happens, all the, there's constant callbacks. Like You'll see something in one scene, and you'll think to yourself, okay, that's somewhat insignificant, no big deal. And then later on, it comes back in the film. And then sometimes, uh, still remains uh, to some degree a little bit irrelevant, but it does come back. So 
I just thought that was so awesome. So let's start with this opening scene, right? There's a car driving down the road. It's a woman. She's driving in the car, and she keeps looking in the back seat, and you can tell there's someone in the back seat. They kind of look like they're just snoozing it off, you know, because they got a hat down real low, this big coat, and she sees headlights in her rear view, and she looks super worried. Is she being chased? Is she being chased out by some psychotic killer or someone that wants to hurt her? Or, or what in the hell is going on? You don't know. She pulls off to the side of the road, and she's here at this creek, river thing. I don't know. It's running water somewhere. And she gets out, and she goes to grab the person that's in the back seat, and they are knocked the fuck out. Now, you think they're just passed out or whatever. Come to find out, they're fucking dead. <laughs> but she drags, the, like, even just this scene. So the woman herself, she's wearing this long, black, uh, belted coat. You know, like, think like Dick Tracy, like a trench coat kind of thing. And uh, it's belted at the waist and everything. And she just has this, it's just such a striking look. I mean, everything about this film, the costumes. I mean, I just couldn't get over how good a film... Uh, from the, you know, the 60s wasn't that long ago. There's a lot of great films in the 60s, but I was really shocked that this black and white film from the 60s was as good as it was as a piece of horror. So when um, another good example, she gets the body out and she starts to drag it down to the river. And as she does, you, she's somewhat struggling with it. You can tell that she it's hard for her to carry this, this dead weight. And then you finally know she's dead just by how she's carrying it. But the legs of the victim are drug like behind the body and they're kind of splayed out almost kind of spread at the knee like a like think um like riding a horse or something like bow-legged or something i guess maybe the term would be and the tops of her feet are dragging through the wet leaves and all that and they're all dirty and it's just really it's just really a disturbing you know image it's just the realism that's in it without being horrifically gory or anything like that just this stark black and white and this body being dragged the way that you would assume maybe a, a body would be dragged just be drugged through the dirt and everything and then she gets to the side of the river and just tosses it just gives a little push a little a little a little nudge a little love right there and it goes bloop right into the river and then she turns around, and there's like a close-up of her face, of course, and you're like, holy shit, what is going on here? And that's our opener. I mean, what a great grab-you opener already. I'm already invested. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I am down with this. I got myself a female killer. She's got this sweet-ass black coat on that somehow looks shiny on the film. I don't know, you know, how they did that, like, what the material was, but it looks cool in black and white. And, yeah, I'm fucking seat-belted in, ready for this. So yeah, the opening scene I forgot to mention, I wanted to add that it was it was very simple but somehow was still kind of brutal in just what it was showing. You know, I know we're all kind of jaded because of the movies we see now. For example, I cannot wait to go see this Thanksgiving movie when it comes out in November. It's going to be fucking rad, but it's going to be super brutal. So I think we're kind of jaded with all the stuff we've seen, The Hills Have Eyes and Saw and all that kind of, you know, Hostel and all that other kind of stuff. You know, there was some violent shit in the 60s coming out for sure, but for this to still be black and white, like I said, can't get over it. Anyway, I'll keep, uh, I'll stop repeating that. All right, so we go on from there, and the cops, I, I believe it's the next scene or something, they discover the body in the river, and they call some guy to come look at it. We find out that this guy is going to be our main character. He is the professor who's also a surgeon, and they call him in to identify the body, but not before he has some odd back-and-forth conversation with some people at a lecture, and one of them kind of mentions to the side, you barely hear it, but he's like, He's been so different since his daughter went missing, which, again, like I said, there's no wasted dialogue in here. So that's obviously everything you hear or see, there's a reason for it, which I thought was cool. And so he goes, he goes to inspect the body, and he says, yes, this is my daughter, I'm sure of it. And he's a very stern-looking guy, and in the, the character, they picked this guy, I don't know if he was a famous actor then in, you know, in France or wherever it was at the time, but he did a great... 
portrayal of this character, but also just his build and everything, just the way he walks. He has this smug kind of head forward, bullish arrogance and, and confidence, but he also has a lot of sadness to him, but also a lot of narcissism to him. I mean, it's just, it's a whole lot of emotions wrapped up in one character. And we find out as we continue to go on. So we already know he's lost his daughter. Now this body that they found that this woman is dumped, we figure out that that's his daughter. Or is it? And he comes out of the morgue after identifying the body. And there's a man there who's just distressed, broken, talking about he was hoping that it was his daughter. Well, not really hoping, but his daughter's missing as well. And he was hoping that that was his daughter or whatever. And he ends up telling the surgeon, like, well, you know, you're lucky. At least now you know where your daughter is and you have some closure or whatever. And the guy has a great line. He's like, imagine that me sitting here having to help you feel better about your situation. I was like, ooh, what a fucking dick move, you know, because they're both missing their daughter. Now he's just got confirmation that his is found dead, murdered in a fucking creek, but he's still going to tell this old guy like, well, you still got it better because you still have hope. So this character, as we go throughout the film, we found out that hope is a big part of what drives him, but it's his, it's the hope in his own ability. So he's not looking towards, you know, science or God or anything like that. He's looking towards himself and his abilities as a surgeon and to be able to create you know, something that's never been done before an experiment. Now, he goes back to his house and he lives in this big mansion and we see the woman from the beginning of the movie who was dumping the body in the lake. So now you're like, okay, well, what the fuck? She murdered his daughter and all that? Nope. We find out that this surgeon was in some type of car wreck with his daughter or whatever and it disfigured her face. Her face is all jacked up and he's been taking bodies of young women slicing their faces off and trying to graft them onto his daughter he wants to repair his daughter but he ends up going on to like have a funeral for and all this stuff it's it's just crazy it's just such a it's such a tight story everything is so tight everything is just it's a mystery it's kind of a, a crime mystery as well but you know it's it's also horrific some of the surgeries they actually show which i thought was really cool Considering all the you know earlier films we've been watching that don't really show anything, it shows him surgically remove a face. And there are so many things in this film that I've seen copied in other films. So it really is a, a blueprint for a lot of things that came after it, even things that we watch now. But yeah, he, he cuts the face and you can tell, you know, it's just one of those stage knives where the blood just kind of comes out. And it looks like really sort of just kind of like a paintbrush that's shaped like a scalpel, you know, because the, the, the blood's dripping off and it's all thick and just looks like syrup or whatever. But it's still pretty cool effects. I'm going to say still kind of ropes you in and and gets you into what's going on. So yeah, also in the film we find out the lady that dumped the body in the river for him in the beginning is his assistant. I don't really remember what her relationship, I don't even know if it's even said, I think one of the people in the background say, I think it's his secretary. I don't know who the hell this woman is. But she says something about, you fixed my face and it's perfect. And she moves this big thick necklace around her neck and shows this big scar. And that's the only thing you can see that shows that she was once horribly disfigured before the great doctor surgeon was able to fix her deformities so yeah i don't i don't know he she she says her face but why that worked and they don't really talk about it much after that but he can't fix his daughter's face which again is a part of you know you you get the feeling that he really loves his daughter but he really loves himself more and the daughter to him is more of a failure of his ability as a surgeon So it's really a blast to his ego. For one, 
I believe he caused the wreck or something. It, it had something to do with him mainly is why it happened. And then she's disfigured and he can't fix the problem. So that's his narcissism and all that. So yeah, just a really complex fucking great character. Uh, there's also a lot of scenes in here with the secretary. So she goes out and actually tries to kidnap court, whatever it's called, whatever that Epstein lady did to girls. That's what this lady does. It's really kind of fucking dark to think about but she goes out she befriends these girls of course they trust her because she's just some sweet lady who's dressed really nice and she's offers them tickets to expensive shows and all this stuff she's like oh let me take you to the house and you can whatever so she lures all these people over they end up drugging them and then they tie them down to the thing and they start hacking their face away and there's not a whole lot of dead time during this because the doctor has to move quick he's like you know i need live samples the tissue has to be living and all that for this to work and he's trying all this stuff now another kind of crazy thing about this house mansion thing that he lives in is in the basement he's got all these big heavy ironed cages that have holes in the top and they're full of dogs and you don't really necessarily know what the dogs are for until kind of like midway through the film I mean, you can kind of guess like what they're for because of what he does. And he's this mad scientist guy. He experiments on them. So he uses them for experiments. And his daughter, who we'll get into her character here in a second, you know, mentions that the accident was the best thing that could happen to him because now he has a live human experiment to toy with. And that's what she feels like at this point, that he's murdering all these women and doing all this stuff, not so much for her, but for himself. And she's starting to understand that her dad's a wicked dude, she's not cool with it, and that causes some conflict throughout the film. And there's a super like heartbreaking scene where the daughter is asking the secretary, whoever the woman is that helps him kidnap all these girls to kill her. She just says, I can't stand it anymore. This is no kind of life to live. You can get the shot that dad gives the dogs when you know experiments don't work out. Give it to me, kill me. I don't want to live anymore. And it's just fucking crazy. Oh, there's also, speaking of killing, there's a scene where one of the girls that has her face chopped you know sliced off and put on the other girl and it works so we get to see the girl with the deformed face with an actual human face because before that they just put this emotionless rubber kind of mask on her and that's where you see the unblinking eyes underneath and it's just really 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 a great look for this film maybe they do put the face on her and then there's a, a part where it kind of shows where that face starts to degrade over time and it even like puts a stamp at the bottom like you know day 10 day 12 day 15 and sort of like a medical journal it kind of flips through it and i thought that again was a cool part in the movie because it kind of breaks i won't say necessarily like breaks a fourth wall but it does just kind of pull you out of the film to show you almost like a documentary style thing of like here's the face breaking down so yeah anyway when she when they originally cut the face off of one of the victims she's still alive. And the doc is like, okay, I got to figure out what to do with her. I don't really know yet. Because in his mind, he's not a murderer. He's just trying to fix a problem. And then once the face works out, he's like, well, fuck, I don't really know what to do with this body yet. You know, he knows he can't really let her go, but he doesn't want to just straight out kill someone. No problem. She gets loose, sees herself in the mirror or something like that, freaks out and jumps out of a third story window, hits the ground and dies. And to me, this scene, and let me know if you thought this too, looks like the scene out of, I don't remember which Halloween film it was, but it's the one where they kill Michael Myers in the middle of the street and they're all like taking turns hitting him. And they're like, we're the real monsters and it's fucking stupid. But anyway, it's just not a good Halloween. I understand the message of the film, but it wasn't a, it, it was a film with a message instead of just a straightforward horror Halloween film, which is fine. But 
I just was expecting a Halloween film, which I don't think it was. It had Halloween characters in it, but not the same vibe. Anyway, that's side point. Who cares, right? The, but there's a scene where the guy they're chasing, who they think is the murderer, he's in an insane asylum or something like that, and he jumps out of the top window and he hits the ground, and his body's all like curled up and bones are sticking out. It's a fucking cool scene. But that scene looks a lot like the scene out of this movie, which I guess if anyone jumping out of a window and hitting the ground, there's only so many different ways you can look. But I just thought it was interesting. Just the shot itself looked staged in the same way. I thought that was cool. All right, so some other things that kind of make this neat is there's a there's some detectives working the case. There's also her fiance or husband or whoever he was. He's still alive. So the girl without a the girl without a face from time to time will call him and then just not say anything on the other line. So imagine you had a fiance and you think she died in a car crash or I guess not even the car crash. She just goes missing is what everyone believes. And then now they believe that she was the girl that was dead in the river because they had a funeral for her and everything, which is also, they have a crypt for her in the graveyard. And that's where the professor starts throwing all the bodies is in that crypt. I mean, how fucking cool is that, right? It's gothic as shit. I just, it's so good. I just can't get over it. All right. Just watch it. And if you hate it, let me know. So anyway, we have this husband aspect to it who misses her and he keeps getting these mysterious phone calls, which at some point in the film, she finally says one word. And what is that one word? His name, which I think is Jacques, Jacques, or something like that. And he instantly knows that that's, you know, his old lady or whatever. And he's like, holy fuck. So he goes to the detectives. We've met these detectives a couple of times throughout the film. And, you know, they're just super, like, <laughs> I guess, like a French stereotype. Like, they smoke and just, they're, they just kind of have this laissez-faire attitude. And it's, it's very cool. But he goes to them. And they kind of blow him off and they're like, yeah, you know, we think you're stupid and we don't, we think this is bullshit, but we're going to investigate anyway because that's our job. And so they actually set up like a sting operation with a shoplifter that they had, that they had let go earlier in the movie. And they call her back. They're like, hey, uh, you know, we're going to arrest you and send you to court and do all this stuff. Or you could help us with this sting operation. It's no big deal. And she's like, oh, okay, sure. And they straight up use her for this, and she almost dies. It's kind of nuts. But I thought that that part was, if there is a weird part, that's kind of the, I guess, most unbelievable part. If, if you can say that in a movie where they're, uh, you know, playing the face-off game. And, and even when they cut the face and how they use it and they pick it up, looks a lot like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies and stuff. When they show a lot of the face removal stuff, it looks like the thing on face-off. I mean, really... A lot of nods to a lot of different movies, I think, can be traced back to this, if nothing else, influenced. All right, so they end up kidnapping another girl. She comes down, and the detectives come to check on her because it was their, you know, undercover, their their CI, their criminal informant or whatever. You know, so she, I won't say allows herself to get kidnapped, but they send her to the hospital because they suspect the doctor. And the reason is, is because... There is a clue that was given way earlier in the movie, seems really insignificant, even the detective kind of blows it off, and then it circles back around at the end of the movie to where, I believe it's, uh, you know, the husband or whatever, they say something about a thick pearl necklace, and he's like, did you say a thick pearl necklace? He's like, yes, I did. And he's like, hui, and he says, hui, and then they're like, holy shit, that's my dad's assistant or whatever. So that's why they send in the girl to kind of play victim to see if anything's going on which she goes to the hospital nothing happens because they don't know where she's getting where he's getting his people from so she ends up leaving and that's when the secretary whoever comes whatever she is to him comes in tries to grab her up 
gets her in the car, takes her back, and then just kind of flashes to a scene of where she's already tied down, about to get her face cut off. But the detectives come over and want to talk to the doctor because his practice is right next to his giant mansion, of course. So yeah, there's a cool back and forth with these, this kind of cat and mouse game of the doctor's arrogance, you know, thinking he can never be caught, and he's just so smart, he's got this all figured out, and the detectives just kind of being seasoned and knowing bullshit when they see it, that kind of stuff. And what happens is the last girl who got caught, the one that they were using, she wakes up and the daughter ends up cutting her free because she just had enough. She just thinks this is no kind of life to live. She doesn't want all these people to die or to have their faces cut off just so she can live a normal life. Plus, she realizes that even if she does get a new face, like, how is she going to live? Everyone already thinks she's dead. They've already had a funeral for her. So her dad's madness and his love of what he considers love has drove her to want to kill herself. It's kind of... You know, it's just, ooh, it's dark. It's dark. So she cuts this girl free. The girl gets free. She runs out. And the secretary comes down there and she's like, what are you doing? You know, you crazy bitch. And what does the girl without a face do? Well, she stabs that bitch right in the throat. And where in the throat? Right through her pearl necklace where her dad had fixed her face and all that kind of stuff. And there's this great scene of her, like, looking at her, reaching out and being like, why? Why? And then she just collapses. And there's this, it's a weird collapse. So... Just watch it. You'll see what I'm talking about. There's a head collapse thing that happens, and you're just like, whoa, that looks like it actually hurt. So, yeah, she does that, and then she decides to go out and free everybody. So she goes through all these dog cages and starts opening them up, letting all the dogs loose. There's a bird cage. She opens it up, and the birds fly out, and one of them flies on her arm, and she carries it out as she walks in this slowly specter of a walk out. I mean, just great, great, great body acting performance from this from the girl who plays that. I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but, man, she just does a great job and it makes the ending scene for all this just that much more kind of haunting and stick with you so you might be thinking what's going to happen to the professor well i'll tell you what happens to him he goes to check out see what's going on he hears all the commotion and all the dogs the dogs bust out of this little tunnel that goes to his little underground lair or whatever and they chew his ass up that's right mauled by dogs who would have thought in a 1960s black and white horror film that we would, would see something as cool as that at the end of an already great movie. So these dogs end up just tearing him to pieces. And the daughter goes over and finds him. And of course his face is horribly disfigured. So there's this great synergy going on. Of everything just coming full circle and all that. It's like a, a, a representation of his madness. And all this kind of stuff. Like seeing for who he really is. This disfigured monster of a human. And then the girl just slips away. Doing that slow haunting little graveyard walk. And that is the end of our film. And holy shit, what a great film. I know I've missed a lot of really cool points in this, but trying to breeze through this because I'm watching The Wolfman tonight. I'm going to try to get the episode out so we can get back on track with our day-for-day -day horror. Don't know if it's going to happen, but we'll get caught up because you know what they say. The show, the show must, must go, on. go on. That's right, and the show will go on. Anyway, this is the Just James Horror View. I'm your host, Just James. I literally have a head over my blanket to help with the acoustics of this. I'm sorry, I apologize. I hope you like it. Check out Eyes Without a Face. Take care.